ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So carrying on then with this series of lessons where we've been discussing the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the previous session we spoke about the names Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. And today we begin with the names Al-Hayyu and Al-Qayyum. Al-Hayyu, Al-Qayyum. These are the next two names mentioned after having gone through Allah, Ar-Rab, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. So now it comes to the name of Allah, Al-Hayyu and Al-Qayyum. Al-Hayyu, in English, they will basically just say the ever-living. Al-Hayyu, the ever-living. And Al-Qayyum, in English, they sometimes say the sustainer. But we're going to get to some details about these names because those translations don't really give you the full meaning of what these names mean. There is always going to be a deficiency in the translations, and it's never going to encompass or incorporate the full meaning in depth of what is intended. But generally, as a loose translation, Al-Hayyu, they say the ever-living, and Al-Qayyum, the sustainer. So firstly, the name Al-Hayyu, well in fact both of them, Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum, they come in the Qur'an together in three places. These two names, Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum, the ever-living, the sustainer, they come in the Qur'an together in three different places. Who can tell us one place where these two names, Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum, come together? Hands up if you know. Hands up if you know in the Qur'an, where these two names, Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum, come up. Everybody probably knows the answer. Where have you heard in the Qur'an, Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum? Any of the kids, 10 or under, know the answer? Hands up if any of the kids, 10 or under, know the answer. Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum, where? In that surah, but which that surah? You mean the one that starts Allahu la ilaha illa, that one? So there's that one, everybody knows that one. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyu al-qayyum ayatul kursi, as it is known as. That's what you recite before you go to sleep. That's what you recite after all of the prayers. Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. That's one place. The same ayah, in the same, <coughs> in the same way, comes in Surah Al-Imran as well. And then the third place is in Taha. One, one, one. وَعَنَتِ الْوُجُوهُ لِلْحَيِّ الْقَيُّومِ So you have Al-Baqarah 255, that's Ayatul Kursi, Al-Baqarah 255, 
Then you have Ali Imran, right at the beginning, ayah 1 and 2, right at the beginning of Ali Imran, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. And then in Surah Taha, number 111, ayah number 111, three places in the Qur'an where these two names are mentioned together. Al-Hayyul Qayyum, the ever-living, the sustainer. So now then if we look at these two names one by one, the first one, Al-Hayyu, which as we said in English, generally and loosely speaking, the ever-living. Al-Hayyu, it is affirming, it is an affirmation of the attribute of life. Life for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because obviously something that doesn't have any life, if something is dead, it cannot be deserving of worship. These idols and statues that they worship do not have any life. They are dead, not alive. Cement and rocks and bricks that they make into their statues and idols. So this affirms the attribute of life to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, it is a life of absolute perfection in every sense. A life of absolute perfection in every sense. Why do we say that? Because us in creation, we have life, but our lives are full of imperfections. Our lives are full of deficiencies. But when we talk about the life of Allah, a life of perfection with no deficiencies whatsoever from any angle or aspect. And there are three main points to remember when we talk about Allah being the ever-living, the attribute of life to Allah. Three important things to remember. The first is that when we talk about Allah being the ever-living, the life of Allah, it is not preceded by non-existence. Us in creation, something is alive, but before it was alive, it was non-existing. Before it came alive, something in creation, it didn't exist. So the life of creation has non-existence prior to it. Then it comes into life. Whereas the life of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no such thing as a non-existence prior to it. That's the first thing. The second thing, when talking about this attribute of the life of Allah, it does not have any end to it. It does not have any non-existence at the end of it. Here again, creation is alive, but then in this worldly sense, that life comes to an end. A person dies, animals die, but when we speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no end. A life of perfection and there is no end and nothingness after it. It is, as we say there generally, Allah is the ever living. No non-existence prior to it and no end and non-existence after it. Ever living. And the third affair is that it is, as we've been saying, a life of perfection in every aspect. And there is no possibility of any deficiencies, any shortcomings, 
to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So three things there, three things there when you talk about the name of Allah, Al-Hayy, Allah, the ever-living. There was no such thing as non-existence prior to it. There is no such thing as an end to that life. And it is a life of absolute perfection in every sense, with no deficiency whatsoever. One example, which is also an example for Al-Qayyum, is in Ayatul Kursi. In Ayatul Kursi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, لَا تَأْخُذُهُ سِنَةٌ وَلَا نَوْمٌ That Allah is never overcome by sleep or slumber. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never overcome by sleep or slumber. Slumber, that is the fatigue and the tiredness that occurs to an individual prior to sleep. So that slumber never overcomes Allah. There's no such thing. And sleep itself never overcomes Allah. No such thing. These two negations that sleep and slumber do not overcome Allah, they indicate to you, therefore, the perfection of the life of Allah. Us in creation, we are not upon perfection. We are deficient. We need sleep. And we are overcome by sleep. And we are overcome by fatigue and tiredness. We are upon deficiency. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ever living, a life of absolute perfection. No deficiencies like fatigue. No deficiencies like slumber or sleep. No weakness, no deficiency, no dependency on any of these affairs. So those are the three things, no non-existence prior to it, no end after it, and the life of Allah is upon absolute perfection in every sense with no deficiency whatsoever. When we say the life of Allah or Allah is upon perfection in every sense, meaning upon His knowledge of everything, upon His hearing of everything, seeing of everything, His power and might and majesty over everything, all of those affairs are upon absolute perfection with no deficiency in any of them whatsoever. One example again in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Furqan 58, when Allah says, وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى الْحَيِّ الَّذِي لَا يَمُوتِ And put your trust in the ever-living who does not die. Put your trust, depend upon and rely upon the ever-living who does not die. This indicates again the perfection of the life of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Put your trust and your dependence and your reliance in your Creator Allah, the ever-living upon perfection, who does not die. There is no deficiency or weakness or death the ever living upon perfection, and that indicates the might and the majesty of Allah. Because a person or something or someone that is alive, but will eventually die, then that cannot be deserving of worship. An individual or something that is alive, but then will eventually die, cannot be deserving of worship, clearly, because eventually it will die. Dead, gone, what are you going to worship then? So it cannot be deserving of worship, something that is alive, but will die in the end. Neither the other way around, something which is actually dead, and not even alive. 
That cannot be deserving of worship. So neither something alive but will die, or something dead and not even alive, in those kinds of circumstances, they are clearly not deserving of worship whatsoever. Or something that doesn't have life at all, stones and trees, something that doesn't have life at all, they cannot be deserving of the worship of Allah. So the one deserving of worship can only be the one who is alive and is ever living upon perfection, not with any weaknesses and deficiencies. Allah said in the Quran, in Ghafir 65, هُوَ الْحَيُّ فَدِعُوهُ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ He is the ever-living. هُوَ الْحَيُّ He is the ever-living. There is no deity worthy of worship in truth except He. So call upon Him sincerely. He is the ever-living. No other deity worthy of worship in truth except He. فَدِعُوهُ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ So call upon Him in sincerity. أَلْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ And all praises to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of all of that exists. In a hadith, it is mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he would make dua, one of his types of dua that he would make, he would say, اللهم لك أسلمت وبك آمنت وعليك توكلت وإليك أنبت وبك خاصمت اللهم إني أعوذ بعزتك لا إله إلا أنت أن تضلني أنت الحي الذي لا يموت والجن والإنس يموتون Hadith which is muttafaqun alayhi. When we say that a hadith is muttafaqun alayhi, then that means the hadith is in which books? Al-Bukhari and Muslim. So if you hear that, you hear someone say this hadith is muttafaqun alayhi. In English meaning it is agreed upon meaning it is agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. So what is in this hadith? The Prophet wasallam used to say in his dua, that, O oh Allah, to you I submit, and in you I believe, and upon you I put my trust and dependence, and to you I submit and return to. And for your sake, I to meaning that you debate or you give the da'wah and you discuss with a person for your sake. Not that you argue with anybody for your own pride or anything else, but you're debating with somebody for the sake of Allah to raise the meaning of La ilaha illallah. And then the Prophet would say, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you by your power and might. There is no one worthy of worship in truth except you. I seek refuge in you to protect me that you may misguide me. I seek refuge in you from misguidance basically. And then the point of the hadith, the Prophet would say, أَنْتَ الْحَيُّ You are the ever-living who does not die. You are the ever-living who does not die. وَالْجِنُّ وَالْإِنسُ يَمُوتُونَ But the jinn and the humans, they die. The Prophet would say in the hadith, You are the ever-living who does not die. But as for the jinn and the humans, they die. Highlighting the clear difference between the Creator and the creation, and the created 
the clear difference between the Creator and the creation, the Creator and those who were created. Allah is the ever living upon perfection, whereas the creation, they die. They do not have the life of perfection and completion. So that is generally the meaning of Al-Hayyu. Allah, the ever living. The second name that we had was Al-Qayyum. <coughs> Al-Qayyum, in English they say the sustainer. However, you should make a note carefully that Al-Qayyum has two meanings, two parts to the meaning. There are two parts to the meaning of Al-Qayyum. And both of them you have to have together. One meaning of the name Al-Qayyum is the one who sustains. Like we said, the sustainer. Allah sustains the creation by giving them air, food, water, homes, clothes, all of these things that Allah provides for us. Allah sustains us in this way. And all of the creation, the mountains, the heavens, the skies, the clouds, everything is controlled and kept in order by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah sustains all of the creation. Allah maintains all of the creation. Sustains us with the food and the water and the drink, etc., that is sustenance we need from Allah. So one of the meanings of Al-Qayyum is that Allah is the sustainer. Allah sustains His creation, provides them rizq, provides them what they require to be sustained, to continue upon their existence. And all of the creation, we need our sustenance from Allah. And without that sustenance from Allah, we would not be able to exist. That is one meaning of Al-Qayyum. The second meaning of Al-Qayyum, and both of these are needed together. The second part of the meaning of Al-Qayyum is that Allah is completely self-sufficient. That He does not need sustenance from anyone. He is not in need of anything or anyone. That is the meaning of Al-Qayyum also. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no dependency or need from anything, anyone in His creation. He is completely, as we would say, self-sufficient. Allah does not require any help or aid from anyone or anything. So Al-Qayyum, it means that Allah Himself is self-sufficient, meaning Allah does not require anything from anyone in His creation. And the second part of Al-Qayyum is, but the creation, they need everything from Allah. So Allah is the one who sustains them. Allah doesn't require any sustenance from anyone. That's part of the meaning of Al-Qayyum. But Allah is the one who sustains all of them. He does not require sustenance, but He sustains all of them. That is the meaning of Al-Qayyum. They say the sustainer. So both parts are needed. It is not just that Allah sustains the creation, but also that He does not require any sustenance from them. He does not require anything, yet He is the one who sustains them. That is Al-Qayyum. And it's not just humans and food and drink, but the mountains and the clouds and everything in creation, sustained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Proof of this, firstly the point that Allah is not in need of anything or anyone from the creation. He is not in need 
of any sustenance or anything from anyone in Surah Fatir number 15. Ya ayyuhan nas. Allah says, O people, Ya ayyuhan nas, antumul fuqara'u ilallah. You are the ones in need of Allah. O people, you are the ones in need of Allah. Wallahu huwa al-ghaniyul hamid. But Allah, He is the rich. Meaning, al-ghani in this case, not needing anything. Allah is al-ghani. The one who is not in need of anything. Al-Hamid, the praiseworthy. So this ayah highlights both points in fact. You are in need of Allah. So Allah is the one who sustains the creation. And then the other point that Allah himself does not require anything. Wallahu huwa al-ghaniyul hamid. He is the, the, the rich meaning the one who does not require anything from anyone. In the hadith Qudsi, what is a hadith Qudsi? There are certain type of hadith, they are known as the hadith Qudsi. What is a hadith Qudsi? Anyone? Huh? All of the sunnah, every hadith is revelation. So normally, hadith, they are revelation, but they are taught to us, conveyed to us by the messenger, by the speech of the messenger. But the hadith Qudsi is the one that the Prophet ﷺ narrates to us exactly from the words of Allah. But it's not considered Qur'an. The Qur'an are the words of Allah being conveyed to us by the Messenger. But the hadith which is conveyed to us from the words of Allah directly, exactly, then that is known as a hadith Qudsi. Quds means sacred. That's a sacred hadith. Because the words are directly from the words of Allah. Whereas the other hadith, the messenger is conveying to us the revelation. The messenger is conveying the revelation. Whereas these are the conveyance of that revelation with the exact words. Of course the difference between them and the Qur'an, there is a difference. The Qur'an you can recite in the prayer. You could not recite a hadith Qudsi in the prayer. After the Fatiha, you cannot recite a hadith Qudsi and say, this is the speech of Allah too. It is, but it's not like the Qur'an. The Qur'an, you get ten rewards for every letter you read. A hadith Qudsi, you don't get ten rewards for every letter you read. So there are differences between the Qur'an and the hadith Qudsi. But it's known as the hadith Qudsi, because the Prophet ﷺ is narrating it directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there is a hadith Qudsi where the Prophet said that Allah said, "Innakum lan tablughu dharri fatadhuruni, wa lan tablughu nafi fatanfaruni." That you will never reach. Allah is saying to His creation, "You will never reach a level or get to any level where you can harm Me." And you will never get to any level where you can benefit me. Allah saying to His creation, You cannot harm me, nor can you benefit me. You can never get to any kind of level where you would be able to harm me or benefit me. This therefore again indicates that Allah is absolutely free of the creation in terms of any needs. Allah has no needs from the creation whatsoever, telling us you can never get to any level where you could harm me, you can never get to any level that you would benefit me. The worship that we do, it is not for the benefit of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah does not need our worship. Rather it is us who are in need of the worship, so that by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
We may enter paradise. <clears throat> In another ayah, Fatir 41, uh, no, uh, Ar-Ra'ad 33. Surah Ar-Ra'ad 33. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَمَنْ هُوَ قَائِمٌ عَلَى كُلِّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ وَجَعَلُوا لِلَّهِ شُرَكَاءَ قُلْ سَمُّوهُمْ Allah says, أَفَمَنْ هُوَ قَائِمٌ عَلَى كُلِّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ The one who sustains every soul upon what it obtains is that comparable to the one who does not. The one who sustains everyone and what they achieve and earn, is that comparable to someone who gives you no sustenance or anything? Clearly the meaning of that ayah there is no. There is no comparison between the one who sustains you and the one who does not. The idols of the mushrikun that they used to worship, they do not provide you any sustenance of any sort. So Allah is saying, are they equal? The ones who provide you the sustenance, or the one who provides you the sustenance and looks after your affairs, and what you achieve, is that comparable to the one who gives you nothing? And clearly the answer is no. In another ayah, Fatir 41 this time, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُمْسِكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ أَن تَزُولَا وَلَئِنْ زَالَتَا إِنْ أَمْسَكَهُمَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ حَلِيمًا غَفُورًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds the heavens and the earth in place, so that they do not collapse. Allah holds the heavens and the earths in place, that they do not collapse. And then Allah says, and if they did collapse, there would be no one else who could hold them in place. Allah is the one who holds and grasps the heavens and the earths from collapsing from their places. And if they did collapse from their places, there would be no one else besides Allah who could grasp them. And Allah is the most forbearing and the oft forgiving. This indicates... That once again Allah is Al-Qayyum, the one who sustains His creation. He is the one who controls and grasps the heavens and the earth in their place. He is the one sustaining them and maintaining them. And were they to collapse from their places, then there is no one else besides Allah who could grasp them and maintain them in their places. And in Ar-Rum 25, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ تَقُومَ السَّمَاءُ وَالْأَرْضُ بِأَمْرِهِ And from his signs, from his signs, are that the sky or the heaven and the earth they are established by His command. They maintain their positions by His command. By the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are all from the meanings of Al-Qayyum. The one who controls and sustains and maintains His creation. So here it is talking about not just the people and their sustenance, but the mountains, the heavens, the earth. The heavens and the earth remaining in their place, grasped by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, maintained by Allah in their places. And nobody else could do that. The seven heavens and the seven earths. The seven heavens, they are clearly mentioned in the Qur'an. And the seven earths, 
are indicated in the Qur'an and they are explicitly mentioned in the Sunnah. The seven heavens, there are narrations about them and there are gaps between each heaven. The seven earths, there is a little bit more discussion amongst the scholars regarding what the seven earths are. Some of the scholars have said that the seven earths are just like this earth, seven spheres, as they mentioned, seven round earths, just like this earth. And of course, there is a side discussion, and it's only a side discussion, and you should be very wary of understanding what are important core discussions, and what are only side discussions. There is a side discussion as to whether the earth is round or whether it is flat. So as a Muslim, what do we believe? As a Muslim, is it round or is it flat? It's flat. Which ayah in the Quran? Hmm. The meaning? Uh-huh. So there are some ayat in the Quran that talk about the earth being laid uh, as a ground for the people. It has been laid down as a ground for the people. Obviously something round isn't laid down as a ground, it's round then. Maybe, maybe some scholars may use those ayat. <coughs> there are some scholars, there are some historically these days I don't think there's anybody, I've not heard of anyone, maybe. But historically, historically there were some scholars who believed from the evidences uh, that the earth may be flat because of some ayat and some evidences of that nature indicating how the earth has been laid out as a flat plain for the people to walk upon and the mountains have been made as pins so there are some evidences indicating it is a flat ground, a flat plain of land. So that is an opinion some scholars have. The majority of the scholars take which opinion though? That it's flat or it's round? That it is round. That is the opinion of the majority of the scholars. There are only a minority of scholars, some of them, who hold the opinion that the earth is flat. But, as we said, these kinds of discussions are not primary discussions. There is no point for us to sit here for six weeks talking about that topic. And every week, I could, we could bring in Ibn al-Qayyim and some of the scholars of the past and they have many pages talking about the topic. But there isn't any great benefit. There isn't any great benefit in discussing that as some type of core topic. In sitting here for six weeks, every session talking about is the earth flat or is it round? There is a discussion. You'll find some small chapters and some bits in some of the works of the scholars of the past. But does it in reality affect your aqidah? Does it affect your iman, aqidah, any core and critical point? No, it's not a primary discussion. But it's just something mentioned. And so we just mention it. That some of the scholars, they have the opinion it is flat. But the majority of the scholars, they have mentioned that it is round. And they've given their evidences, even those ayat about the earth being flat. Then... You know, they've mentioned because of the size of the earth, etc. Something can be considered flat, but due to the vast size of it, it can be overall in some type of round shape. Your perspective now, it's flat because of the distance in the overall relative size of it. So many of the scholars, the Jumhur, the majority, they say the earth is round, and it's really not a discussion of great value. You could sit here for two hours sit here for five hours and try to prove no it's flat. Or sit here for five hours, try to prove no it's round. 
And at the end of the five hours, what have you really benefited? The reality is not much. It's not a core discussion. It's not a principle discussion. You don't find this discussion in the books of Aqidah, in the books of the scholars. It is just something, a couple of pages, a few, maybe the odd chapter you'll find in the middle of some big book somewhere. It's not a core discussion. So it's important to mention that because sometimes people, with these kinds of topics especially, because now you go into YouTube, mashallah, and there's all types of diagrams and this and that, and how the earth is like this, and uh, it can't be round, and the ship over the horizon, and all these things. A person could go and spend months watching all types of YouTube videos about these things. And you get engrossed and you end up wasting your time. You end up wasting your time going and researching a topic in that level of detail and watching videos for an hour, two hours, four hours, five hours a week. This video, that video, this document, this uh, uh, PDF. Researching, researching a topic that no scholar has ever told you to go and research like that. Nobody would research that topic except somebody, maybe they're in their master's or PhD, and it's a, a section of their thesis or something. Otherwise, there's no real benefit in going into detail but in topics that are not primary discussions. So here, the point there was regarding the earths and the heavens, the seven heavens and the seven earths. The seven earths as well is a type of discussion which exists amongst the scholars. What are the seven earths? Some scholars, like we said, they said there are seven actual earths like this earth. And there is creation upon those other earths, like there is creation upon this earth. And other scholars, they said, maybe the seven earths is talking about the seven layers of this earth. You have the mantle, the crust, and the core, and all of those things you learn in geography. All of the seven layers of the earth, maybe. Some have said, maybe it is the continents of the world, the land masses, that there are seven major land masses upon this earth. Even though Ibn Kathir, he did not view this opinion to be very strong, that the seven earths is talking about the seven uh, land masses, like the seven continents, major areas of land on this earth. But it's an opinion as well. So there are some different opinions about what the seven earths can be. The point here is though, Allah says, from His sign, from His signs, is that the, the heaven and the earth, they are established by His command. They are maintained, they are in their place, they are sustained by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is briefly the meaning of the name Al-Qayyum. These two names together, Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. They come together in the Qur'an like we said. And these two names, all of the other names of Allah revolve around them and return to them too. These two names in reality, encompass all of the other names. How so? Because all of the other names and attributes of Allah, knowledge, hearing, seeing, etc., they are elements of the perfection of life. So they return back to Al-Hay. They are elements of the perfection of Allah being the sustainer of all of His creation. That he has all of the knowledge and the uh, seeing and hearing, and he performs his actions upon that perfection. So all of the other names and attributes of Allah, in reality, they can come back to the meanings of Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum. All of those others, if you think about them, they are incorporated into Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum. The hearing, the seeing, and all the different attributes, they are from the perfection of the life of Allah, from the perfection of the sustenance of Allah for His creation. So all of them in that way revolve around and they return back to the names Al-Hayy Al-Qayyum. And that's why it's mentioned in a hadith also, that the one who makes dua with these two names, then his dua is answered. <coughs> Ibn al-Qayyim, 
Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentioned that there is a great impact upon the dua and the dua being answered for the one who calls upon Allah with these two names. Ya Hayyu Ya Qayyum Birahmatika Astaghif. Calling upon Allah, the Hayy, the Qayyum. By your mercy, I seek your help and assistance. So making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and using these two names in your dua to call upon Allah. Then there is the hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَقَدْ دَعَ اللَّهَ بِاسْمِهِ الْأَعْظَمْ أَلَّذِي إِذَا دُعِيَ بِهِ أَجَابُ وَإِذَا سُئِلَ بِهِ أَعْطَابُ that he has made dua to Allah with his greatest name. The one that if you call upon Allah with it, your dua will be answered. And if you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with it, then he will give you. And that is in reference to the names Al-Hayyul Qayyum. And that's why in that ayah in Surah Taha 111, that the faces are humbled before Al-Hayyul Qayyum. So those are the names Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. That brings us to the end of that chapter. Next time then, insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll mention some of the other names that come up in the next chapters. Uh, names such as Al-Khaliq, Al-Razzaq, Al-Raziq, the one who creates, the one who sustains, the one who provides. Al-Ahad. Uh, so that is an important section we'll discuss. As-Samad. Allah is the As-Samad. So what does it mean that Allah is As-Samad? Those kinds of names then will come to those in the future chapters. Insha'Allah ta'ala. Any questions up to there then? How is the name Qayyum? Sorry, just broken. So, just, just thinking about the Sahaba and, and our worship, I mean, their, their worship, the way they worship Allah ta'ala, and us, we don't even equal to the dust of their worship. How, how do we expect that we will enter Jannah? So we do not compare to the companions in our level of worship. No doubt the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they were tremendous in their level of worship, in their iman, in their belief, in their strength. They lived with the Prophet ﷺ. They fought in the battles with the Prophet ﷺ. No doubt they were tremendous in their levels of worship in their levels of belief and iman and strength. But that does not mean that we say, if the companions did so much and that was their level and we are nothing compared to them, how are we ever going to enter paradise? We can say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised paradise for the believers. Those who do righteous actions, even if your righteous actions are less than another person, as long as you do your righteous actions, and you stay away from the haram and that which Allah has prohibited, then you are fulfilling the commandment Allah placed upon you. There is the narration of a man who came to the Prophet ﷺ, and he said, or, or, or the man highlighted to the Prophet ﷺ, he said to him that I don't really have a lot of prayer. The man said to the Prophet, I don't really pray much, meaning he does his five obligatory obviously, he was talking about the optional prayers like night prayer and, and sunnah prayers and nafal prayers. He said, I don't really do much of those. And fasting, I don't really do much of that, meaning outside of Ramadan, optional fasting. Basically, he was telling the Prophet that I don't really do much optional worship. I don't do that much. But he was doing the fard. He was doing the minimum. He was doing the obligations praying his five prayers, performing his uh, fasting in the obligation, doing all the obligations, sticking to that, staying away from the haram. And then he mentioned about his love for the righteous. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you will be with those who you love. 
meaning even though he didn't have a great deal of worship, he was performing the obligations upon him, staying away from the haram, and inshaAllah ta'ala, you expect and you hope goodness for that person. It is not a condition that we say you have to get to the level of Abu Bakr to enter paradise, or you have to get to the level of Umar ibn Khattab to get to paradise. But every person strives and performs what he is able to do and stays away from the haram. Every person strives to his level of ability. You saying? How is the meaning of Qayyum changed when it's applied to man? As in the ayah of Qawwamun, that's a linguistic meaning of it. Because linguistically it means to sustain, to maintain. So the men are the maintainers over the women. They maintain over the women in terms of providing the income and the, the housing, the clothing, the food. They maintain the household and the women in that way. That's the uh, linguistic meaning of it in there. Anybody else? The non-Muslims or somebody confused and they come along and they say, Who created Allah? Or they start off by saying, uh, Who created you? And uh, you say, uh, like uh, the discussion of, So you're created from water, water created from atom, atom created from this, and that created from that. And you get to the last thing and you say, That was created by Allah initially. They say, Okay, then who created Allah before that then? So the question is invalid in that respect. Because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدٌ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not given birth to. And neither did He give birth. He does not have a father, does not have a mother, does not have a son, does not have a daughter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one. Allah is unique. And Allah is the ever-living the creator of all of the creation. So there is no such thing as saying, who created Allah? If a person understands the belief that all of this creation was created by the creator, and that he is the ever-living, and he is Al-Qayyum and Al-Hayy, if a believer understands those affairs, then you understand it is not a question who created Allah. There is no such thing as a creator of Allah. There is no such thing as something before Allah. But those kinds of discussions, a person starts going down that road, and that's where you end up in confusion. If a Muslim goes down that road, that's from the whisperings of the shaitan. It mentions it in a hadith, that eventually he will say to you, and who created Allah then? In the narration it mentions it. So a person does not go down this type of philosophical route, okay, how was this created? By that thing, and how was that created? By this thing, by that thing, by that thing, by Allah. Then who created Allah? Shaitan works with you in that path to get you to that confusion. But we understand Allah is the mighty and majestic, the creator of everything that exists. The creator of all these worlds. Like you see in the statement of... Uh, uh, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, they mention about him that on one occasion, he had a debate with some atheists. Some atheists wanted to debate with him about the existence of God, the existence of Allah. So they made an appointment with him. They made an appointment with him, four o'clock, whatever, this day we're going to meet, and we're going to have this debate. The atheists said to Abu Hanifa. So Abu Hanifa agreed. But Imam Abu Hanifa agreed to the debate at that particular time on that particular day. When that day came and that time came, Imam Abu Hanifa was late. He didn't turn up. He turned up late. So when he turned up late to the meeting, they said to him, what happened? We agreed. We were supposed to meet at such and such a time. You're late by an hour, two hours, three hours. So Imam Abu Hanifa, they attribute the story to him. He said that actually what happened was, 
that I was on my boat. I was on my boat out on the sea, doing whatever. I was on my boat out on the sea, and the sea got a bit rough. It got rough on the sea, and the waves and everything on my boat sank. My boat sank. So then I was in trouble out at sea. But then, the storm that was happening, it was because of a storm and the waves and the boat sank. He said, because of the storm and because I wasn't too far away from the shore, from the beach, the storm was smashing everything and it was smashing down the trees on the beach. And some of these trees, they were smashed and their branches and everything were broken off by this storm. And they flew around in the wind and some of these branches and tree trunks, they fell into the sea. And he said, luckily for me, a few of these branches that were broken off by the storm, and they were flying around in the tornado in the storm everywhere, they were crashing into each other. He said, a few of the branches and the, the trunks and things, they crashed into each other into the shape of a boat. And I managed to get onto that and come back to land. The branches just crashed in the storm and the tornado, they crashed into each other into the shape of a boat. Perfect. No holes, no water coming through. Perfectly into the shape of a boat together. And I came back to land on that boat and that's why I'm a bit late. They said to him, Stop mocking us. Stop mocking us and stop making a joke of us. You expect us to believe that story as to why you're late? You expect us to believe that these branches broke off the tree and they were pushed around by the wind and the storm and they crashed into each other perfectly, each branch joining up with the other one perfectly. You've seen how the planks, they joined them in the boats. Everything joined perfect and the branch covered that hole. Another branch came and covered that perfect floating on the water. They said, don't be stupid. That doesn't happen by itself. You need someone. A person has to come and cut the branches to the right length and then join them up perfectly so there's no holes. That doesn't just happen with branches crashing into each other. Somebody has to come, a carpenter has to come, cut them up perfectly, put them together, join them up, seal them, nail them. You don't get a boat with branches just crashing together. They said, you're making that up. He said, well, if you don't believe that something as simple as a boat, a little wooden boat, can be created by itself, by the wind and the branches crashing into each other, you don't believe that a simple boat, a wooden boat, cannot be created by itself and it needs someone to do it, then how do you believe this whole world and this whole creation and all of the intricacies within it, they all created themselves. You won't believe me that a simple boat can create itself. How do you believe that this whole world with all of the intricacies in it, created itself. And from that one first opening line, the discussion was finished. The atheists, what answer are they going to give? They believe that the, the mountains and the rivers and everything created itself. There is no God, there is no creator. But a boat, they know it can't create itself. They know that the branches aren't going to crash together perfectly without any holes for the boat to sink, in the exact right length, it's not going to happen. Abu Hanifa said to them, well then you know. You know these things, everything in this world didn't create itself. It was all created by a creator. Just like that boat, you know. You know what I've said to you, it can't happen like that. You need a carpenter to come and cut the right lengths in the right shapes, nail it together, make sure there's no holes. You know that. It can't just do it by itself. So therefore you know in reality that this whole world and the way that it's been designed and created, the animals large and small and the ecosystems, how they work and the food chain of the animals and how everything, all of these things, they didn't create themselves. They didn't create themselves. Just like the boat you know, 
didn't create itself, none of this world created itself. It was created by the Creator, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll conclude upon that prayer. Is it 8.30? Huh? So we'll conclude upon that prayer. Time is here. Insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll carry on then in two weeks' time for the next class.